0: Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, January 5th, 2020, we begin a new series titled Live Different, The Sermon on the Mount. Today's sermon, True Happiness, Part 1, will be taught to us by Pastor Bob Wade out of Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Enjoy. You know, we've been pointing towards doing the Sermon on the Mount for a couple of months now, not because we just want to look at the, you know, the life of Jesus, but we want to really examine the message Of Jesus. And the Sermon on the Mount is the longest recorded message that Jesus ever gave. Three whole chapters Matthew 5, 6, and verse 7. It was written very early in his ministry, probably in the first year, and it was something that portions of it would be used over and over again at different times in different places because of the power of the message. It was a message that he gave up in the northern part of of Israel up close to the Sea of Galilee on the side of a hill because that hill provided a place where he could speak and his voice would really carry out in such a way that everybody could get it. It's a message that for many people has been really inspiring. And for other people it's been actually confusing. There are a lot of religious and moral teachers out there like Tolstoy, Gandhi, people like that, that looked at the Sermon on the Mount and they thought that the chief end of the Sermon on the Mount was just to be a better human. And so they applauded it. Man, everybody should go do this. You know, this is how you should live. Regardless of where you were with Christ. And so they began this push that started a social movement within the church that, you know, well, churches need to be about you know social justice and all these other things and all those things are are wonderful, good things. In many ways, the Sermon on the Mount does call us to be God's hands and God's voice but it isn't about being a better human. It's about being a fully devoted follower of Christ. It's not about moralism. It's about transformation. It's a call to live differently. I mean, you have to remember here the context of what this is given. The audience, who was there. The audience that Jesus would have spoken to were a group of people that are highly religious. I mean, the Old Testament system had 613 laws that these people were committed to. They were committed to the law. This is a group of people that Jesus is saying, look, I have a different way of going about this than you have been going about it. It's not through religion. I'm calling you to something more. I'm calling you to follow me. He even begins kind of in an interesting way. As he kicks off here in verse three with his own words here to start the, the message. He begins with the word blessed. It's the Greek word makarioi, it means happy. In fact, if you were to go back through many different translations, particularly older translations, very often it will say that, it'll just use the word happy. Now I gotta be honest, the fact that Jesus declares happiness as a possibility makes the message super appealing to anybody. Imagine starting this all off and there were just thousands and thousands of people there and he starts off by saying, happy are you if you do this? Boy, everybody's ears would have perked up at that time because who doesn't want to be happy, right? Well, what kind of happiness? You know, if you look online for the things that bring happiness, the list will be very, how do I say this, self-absorbed, self-focused, things like work to please yourself first, then you'll be happy. Or love yourself the most, that's the way to find happy, that's the way to be able to love other people. Love yourself the most and then you'll have plenty left over and you'll be able to, you know, to love other people or live for the moment. It's very selfish, very momentary kinds of, of things. Charles Schultz, remember him, the guy that wrote Peanuts? He he had a saying that he said, happiness is a warm puppy. Everybody loves a warm puppy, right? As long as it's a puppy. You say, well, well, you're not not a dog lover? No, I'm a dog lover. I love my dog. I don't love your dog. (laughs) Okay? But when it's a puppy, yeah, I love your puppy. Just when it gets big and comes to my yard, I don't like that. See, true and lasting happiness, according to Jesus, comes at an infinitely higher level than that momentary happiness that just lasts for a second. Now, let me say something here before we get too far into this about what isn't mentioned by Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus does not say here that happiness comes as a result of things or wealth. And yet, if we're just going to be honest... Don't we believe that? Wow, if I just, you know, if I just won that Powerball, I'd be happy. If I just had a little bit more money, you know? If I just had that second home, you know, that we could sneak away to that's up in the cool pines and, you know, get away, I mean, and then I'd be happy. If I had that new car that I've been really wanting, man, I, I mean, who doesn't want a Tesla, right? I, 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 need, this, I need this car, then I'd be happy. True happiness, though, has nothing to do with what I have or what I don't have. True happiness has everything to do with how I see myself before God. I want you to catch this again. It has everything to do with how you see yourself before God. That will be the issue here, according to Jesus. Now follow with me as I read through the first six verses here in Matthew chapter five. We've split this up. So this week we're talking about true happiness. Next week Thomas will come and get the second part of the Beatitudes and that'll be true happiness part two. He starts off in verse one, he says, seeing the crowds he went up on the mountain and when he sat down his disciples came to him and he opened up his mouth and taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, I'm going to try to change the wording just a little bit here so you can understand maybe in a modern vernacular what they're talking about here. The first one is this, happy are the honest. Honest about what? Honest about who we are verse three here it says blessed are those who are poor in spirit now before we go too far in this do you notice here that the beatitudes are very paradoxical it starts off here in verse three and it says blessed are the poor and then the next thing you see here is these are the people that get heaven the poor are the ones that get everything so he's not talking about some kind of an investment advice here But it's also interesting that Jesus would start off with being poor in spirit because this really is the key to all the other ones. And so I'm gonna make a statement here that I really want you to be careful and listen to afterwards because this is an important thing, but there is no one in the kingdom of heaven that is not poor in spirit. There is no one in the kingdom of heaven that is not poor in spirit. Now the Bible here isn't teaching that poverty is a good thing. Poverty isn't a guarantee of any spirituality at all. Your closeness to God has nothing to do with what you have or what you don't have. What Jesus is talking about here is poverty of spirit. It is the recognition of your absolute need for God. It is the realization that I personally could never be good enough to get into God's heaven on my own. Poor in spirit means I have nothing to offer God. It's not like God looks at me and goes, well, I should really save that guy because that guy will make a big difference in the kingdom, he's worth it. That's not the case. Nobody fits into that role. And this isn't a false humility. This is an honest realization that God in heaven is perfect and I am not. How do I know that? Well, Paul in Romans chapter 3 verse 23 tells us, he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means that you personally fall below the standard of God. You fall below God's standard for heaven. I do too. All of us do. Nobody on our own can reach God's standard I don't care if you're the best person in your family, the best person at your, 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 your employer, I mean, the best person in your neighborhood, that doesn't matter. You could be the best person in every single category, but if you fall below God's standard, you don't make it. Everyone falls short of that standard. So unless I realize that, I am deceiving myself. Thus, Happy are the honest. Honest enough to realize I have nothing to offer God. Honest enough to realize that this isn't a good business transition for God. Like, well, I'll give him salvation, then, then I'll get this because this is going to really gonna work out really great for us. Honest enough to realize I bring nothing to the table. I am saved by God's grace and his mercy, period. I am saved because God decided I'm gonna stick my affection on you. I'm gonna love you. I've decided I will love you. That's where my worth comes from. I don't stand before God and say, well I'm better than everybody else so he should save me. No, I'm not better than everybody else. I am just a person who God decided to love. Why, I have no idea. That's one of those mysteries biblically, I can't tell you the exact answer to it, I just know that it's a fact. So the beauty is when I humbly recognize that, that I am exactly where God wants me to be. In fact, if you don't believe that, listen to Jesus' own words in Luke chapter 18. He tells a, a, a parable here. It's a story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. He starts off and he says this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He said two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus' words here, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. God, the Father, told the Isaiah the prophet this in Isaiah 66 verse two. He says, but this is the one to whom I look, who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word You see, the blessing here, the happy here, is when God's spirit finally convicts me and I realize that I can agree with God at the point of saying, look, I get it. I'm a sinner. I'm not worthy. God forgives me. He changes me. Now, there's a second thing here. That is in verse four, and that is happy are the self-aware. Aware of what? Look at verse 4. He says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is the person that not only recognizes that they are poor in spirit, but this is the person that realizes, okay, you know, God forgave me even though I didn't deserve it. He actually came along and He forgave me. But this is even more. Now that He's forgiven me, now He's asking me to live this life out for Him. And yet, I got flesh. That wants to do my own thing and, and this world system around me is calling me to do another thing completely and then the evil one is after me attacking me trying to get me to go down a certain path and a certain row to do this and it, it's I, I don't want to do those things I want to be who God wants me to be I don't want to do this the wrong way that's the person that's self-aware the apostle Paul Speaks of the importance in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. He says, a godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. It's the fact that I look at sin and go, that's not who I wanna be. You know, too often, Christians today have a, an attitude of sin that's like really big deal. They kind of look at it like, oops, sorry, I sinned. Or you'll hear somebody say, well, you know what, just just do it and you can ask for forgiveness later. Well, the truth is you can ask forgiveness later, right? But that's not the attitude that God is calling you to have. God doesn't want me to look at sin and go, whoops. God wants me to be aware enough to know that he wants me to be holy. That he's calling me to go, God, this is not who you want me to be, this is not who I wanna be. Would you help me? You see, as a Christian, I have been forgiven, I have been adopted into the family, now it is to be my desire. Now the desire needs to come from me to live up to my name, Christian, little Christ. Why? Because God sees our hearts. Psalm 32 verse one says this, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. In other words, in whose spirit there is none, ah, I can do whatever I want, God will just forgive me for all of it. No, he wants us to have the attitude of God. I wanna become the man or the woman that you want me to be. The promise here is, that those who are self-aware enough to be grieved that they're still sinners, God himself will comfort them. There's a third part here, and that is happy, those that are, happy are those who are led by the Spirit. Look at verse five. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, I gotta be honest with you. As a guy, meek doesn't always sound like the kind of thing that I was particularly interested in. I mean, you know, I... You know, when you're, when you're young and you're playing football, right, you, you got to get tough, you know. Got to get on, go hit this guy harder than he's going to hit you. Or, you know, playing baseball, I can remember standing in the box and they're going to throw inside because he's trying to intimidate me. Well, I'm going to show him how tough I, you know, I'll take one if I have to. I mean, we learn the opposite way and yet here, meekness is a really good thing. But what you need to understand is meekness is not weakness. It's not shyness. Meekness in this case in the passage here is vertical in nature. This is how God perceives me. The Greek word here for meek, the word praus, is having a trusting attitude towards God. It's believing that God wants for me it is the best. It is not being weak, it is trusting in God. It's obeying God. God. It's wanting his leadership and direction in my life more than my own direction. You've probably heard this before. People said, well, I thought weakness was, you know, taking this strong stallion of a horse, you know, and you put the bit in its mouth. You know, typically horses don't like the bit in their mouth, but this is the person that would choose it saying, I want your direction more than I want my direction in my life. It has to be a spiritual thing. Nobody does that on their own. And by the way, this is what the scriptures have been telling us from the beginning. Proverbs chapter three, verses five through seven says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own life. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. That is meekness. Not trusting in you, but more so turning the trust, the reins, all, whatever you want to use for that, over to God, Isaiah 55, verse eight, takes it even a step further. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Trust in me, he's saying. Let me have the lead because if you do, it's better. If you'll trust me, it's better. Meekness is the realization that every breath that I take in this life It's given by God. It's meant to be used for him. It's making myself available to him. I choose God's path over my path. The meek person here sees himself as a servant, an extension of God's work. His hands, his voice, and by the way, it's not hard to, to spot who the meek people are because there's only two types of people that are even in this room right now. There are people that would say, I am a servant of the Lord, and there are people that secretly would say, I expect God to serve of me. You see what a radical message that was to the people of that time? Meek. The one who is meek towards God is willing to be used. Who makes himself, him or her, available to God. Moses in the Old Testament was considered the meekest man who ever lived. Not at first. There was this breaking process that God had to teach him to want his ways more than he wanted his own ways. You're saying, well, I've tried that before. Try it again. Turn the controls back over to Jesus. The promise here is they inherit the earth. Well, if you look in the book of Revelation, you realize there's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth. That tells me that they inherit the future. That's a pretty good inheritance. Now the fourth thing here is this. Happier are those who want to know God. Look at verse six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Now why is this so important? Are you familiar with what the great commandment is? You know the story in Matthew chapter 22, this lawyer comes to Jesus and he's trying to trick him He's gonna use the idea that there's 613 laws in the Old Testament to try to get him to say one is more important than all the others because they should all equally be important in in that society, right? You should do everything. You don't wanna be a lawbreaker in anything, so they should all be equally important, but Jesus blows that completely away, and he stops and he says these words in verse 37 and 38. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Love God first, love God most. If you love God most, guess who you don't love most? I don't love me most. Wanna know what the telltale sign is? Look at your prayer life. When you pray, is it all about what you want? Or are there times like in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, pray like this, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do we ever do that first? Do we ever just stop and go, God, you know what my heart is. You know what I'm nervous about. You know what I'm afraid about. But God, here's what I really want. I want the best that you have. I want what you want. You can tell with your prayer life. You can tell with your finances. You know, that's the taboo of of being in the church, right? Oh my gosh, he mentioned money. You know what? If if that's the, if you're saying, well, I just really want to follow the Lord except for right here, my wallet. You got a long way to go. (laughs) I'm not worried about that. We want your heart. but what we do with our money says a lot about what's important, about who sits on the throne, about who God is. What about time? Do I make God the king of my time, or is it the leftovers of my time? The amazing promise here by Jesus is You will be, if you seek me, if you'll do these things, if you'll put me first, if you'll hunger and thirst for me, you'll be satisfied. And I gotta tell you, there's not a lot in life that true satisfaction does not make good. True happiness begins with the realization, according to verse three, that I'm not good enough for God's love and mercy, but he gave it to me and I'm thankful for that. It goes on in verse four and there's a self-awareness that I'm agreeing with God together that you know what God, I need your presence in my life daily because I do not want to look like everybody else. I want to be your man or your woman. Then finally in verse three it says, or verse five it says and I want my life to be led by your spirit, not by my desire. And I know this is a battle because I tend to want to choose my way over your way but help me to want to take it your route. And then finally, God, I want to hunger and thirst for you because I know that only satisfaction will come from you. This morning is a brand new beginning. Perhaps you look at your life and you realize you're stagnant spiritually, you're frustrated spiritually, you've gone up and down. It's been like a roller coaster maybe in your life. I want to encourage you to go back to the beginning. Jesus was ultra clear. This starts with us knowing exactly who we are before him and being thankful and then asking him to just fill us up, to be inside of us, to take control, to take the lead and we'll pursue him and we'll find the satisfaction that will bring happiness. Would you pray with me? I would encourage you that um, perhaps one of the things that you need to do if you have thought that you are saved simply by being a good person or simply being religious or simply coming to church or by giving to some charity or something like that, you need to go back and reevaluate the fact that none of those things will save you. that we are saved when we stand before a holy God with nothing in our hands to offer, inviting him to take control of us. And he will. And he'll do something great in your life if you'll let him. I'd encourage you that there'll be a group of people that will be down here to, to pray afterwards with anyone who would like. Stop and ask someone to pray with you. It'd be a great time to start off the new year and your faith. Father, would you call us to live differently? Different than the world, different than religion? Call us in a way that sees you as the king, that you are on the throne, that you are calling us to to see exactly who we are, to submit our lives to you to seek after you and in that we'll find the satisfaction that we have hungered for thank you Lord in Jesus name amen Jesus himself has just told us that true blessedness true happiness are yours for the, ha- the taking but it's not going to come by the path that the world tells you it's not going to come by the path that even you think it might come from it will come when you make yourself right with God and you pursue the things that He asks you pursue, you'll truly find happiness and satisfaction. God bless you all, love you all.